Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. So welcome to Phoenix and Flame, or welcome back if you are a returning listener. Uh, Today is going to be a little different. I said in a prior podcast episode that I was going to be starting um, a series of interviews that I've decided to call You're Not Alone. And that's because I found myself in several conversations with people over time where they were sharing something really kind of awful that they were going through, but they just felt isolated. They felt all alone. But I knew because what I do for a living, for those of you who don't know, I'm a psychotherapist. So I have the privilege of hearing uh, a lot of people's stories. And it is a privilege and an honor to be able to hear the, the, the true story. So I knew that these people, in fact, were not alone. But we have a culture and a society where Sometimes we feel reticent, we feel resistant to share certain kinds of pain, especially surrounding mental health. And I'm so thankful to a lot of the Olympians uh, and also some of the um, Hollywood stars and those kinds of individuals who are coming forward and being open and honest. And I've mentioned some of those on my prior podcasts and saying, yeah, I have gone through this horrible thing. And I'm so glad they're doing that so that we do have an opportunity to know that we're not the only one. And that makes us feel supported and encouraged that if someone else has gone through it, if they've made it through it, then maybe I can too. And so that was my first motivation for starting this interview series, just so that all of us can know that we're not alone, that whatever you're going through, you're not alone. Another reason why I wanted to do uh, this series is because I would like for people who have gone through all different kinds of things to have an opportunity to tell their story so that other people who might not know individuals like this can get to know them as a person, that the judging would decrease, that instead of viewing someone from afar and and having these ideas of what somebody may or may not be like, that you have an opportunity to listen to an individual, find out, you know what, we're pretty much all the same. We pretty much all want to be loved and accepted and cared for and appreciated and we want to belong. I think sometimes, especially when it comes to diversity, sometimes we listen to people, and there's some judging that happens. And I'm not a big fan of judging. And for those who have listened to my prior podcasts, you understand that. And I think these interviews would possibly help people to hear an individual's story and get to know who they are as a person and not just because of some symptoms they have or some behavioral patterns that they may have, that you would get to know them as a person. And that hopefully will decrease judgment because you'll see them as a person, not as a behavior pattern. 
And the last thing, you know, the last reason why I wanted to do this interview series is because sometimes we don't know how to respond to people when they say certain things to us. And my guest today, I'll I'll introduce her here in a few minutes, uh, she had shared something with me and I've had other people share with me as well that when you, like if somebody were to say, for example, uh, you know, my husband died, then someone might say, oh my gosh, what did he die of? Did he, you know, was it cancer? Or if you were to say it was cancer, then they might say, oh goodness, what kind of cancer was it? And, you know, how long did he have it? And all that kind of thing. But if you were to say, my husband shot himself, or my husband committed suicide, then you're frequently met with silence, and it's hurtful. But we don't know what to say. And so that is my third reason for doing these uh, interviews, is so that maybe if, if we're that person one time, when someone comes up to us and says something that maybe through these interviews and hearing the stories, they would be able to share, the guests would be able to share with us some helpful things that we can do and respond back to be supportive and not leave them standing there in silence while, you know, awkwardness is all around and nobody knows what to say because that doesn't feel good to either person. And so I'm really hoping to open up dialogue about some really hard topics. And as always, and I'll mention this at the end of the episode, uh, if if anyone has any questions or comments or um, has any ideas of of future interviews, you can go to my website, which is just phoenixandflame.com, and there's a contact me page there, and you can leave me messages there. And so that kind of explains why I wanted to do this interview series, and I won't explain all of this every single time in case you're you're wondering if I'm going to say this every single time. I won't. So I just wanted to put it out there, you know, this one since it's our first interview. So my guest is Erica Santucci. She is a a good friend and a neighbor of mine. And uh, full disclosure, we both kind of have been fighting nerves a little bit. Uh, I had to learn some new technology that, uh, not my favorite, okay, that's not my favorite thing, but I kind of battled my way through that, and both of us, this is kind of new for me, for her, and, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit nervous, so if we kind of stumble around a little bit in the beginning, just have grace. Uh, we're kind of finding our footing, but I wanted to, to introduce Erica to you, and she's just a lovely, lovely person, and she's been so kind and gracious to come and join me on the podcast, and she has a story that I think is is worth telling and worth listening to. So, Erica, I'm just going to kind of stop being such a blabbermouth and stop talking so much and just kind of begin to tell us, you know, your story. You can feel free to start anywhere that you want to start and you can, you can back up, you can fast forward, you can do anything you want to do, whatever makes you most comfortable. Thanks, Dina. Thanks for having me. Um, a year ago, well, July, 2020, July 10th, my life changed. My husband did die by suicide. You know, he, uh, of course, never saw it coming. It, uh, 
you know, it'll change me forever, obviously. And Dana, what you said is, is true, you know. Hey, how did, how did your husband die? They're expecting me to say, you know, cancer, whatever. And um, I say he died by suicide. And the conversation stops. And it is true. And I would never know what to say. And I did feel alone um, until I'm doing a lot of studying about it. I still have so many questions on why he did it. But those are just answers we'll never have. It is true mental illness, and it's real. It's not talked about enough. We need to keep the conversation going. Um, you know, it's been a little over a year, so it's getting easier for me to talk about. But it stings. It hurts because it's just not a natural way to die. And, um, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll never be the person I was. I rely on God to mold me to be the person he needs me to be now and stay as strong as I can every day for my boys and, um, and keep talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm thinking there might be some listeners out there that might be in a relationship with someone and they may be concerned that that might be on their, their loved one's mind. Do you feel comfortable sharing anything that kind of led up to uh, the the suicide? Any Absolutely. any kind of Absolutely. words of wisdom? And sometimes we don't have words of wisdom. It's just your experience. Yeah, it's it's my story. You know, it. it uh, Rob and I were married nineteen years together, twenty two, and it was the past I would say two to three years before he passed. He just started changing. You know, getting more jealous. Um, just some you know controlling you know angry he just wasn't the person i met he wasn't my husband that he i I couldn't figure it out i would react and i would get angry at him not knowing this whole mental illness thing i didn't even know about it he he just did things that were out of the ordinary so the boys and i went through two to three years of a lot of stress you know staying at hotels because i just didn't I, I felt we were in this house with somebody I didn't know and I didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. But of course, it wasn't my husband. Right. So it was it was the last couple days before he took his life that the, I took the boys out of the house. I I felt we were in danger, even though I knew in my heart he would never do anything to us. Right. And so I stayed away. And um, by the third day, I I started thinking about coming home, but he was being very threatening to us and so I I just kind of backed away and just didn't respond to his texts which is something I have to live with the guilt for the rest of my life when he didn't call that third that morning I knew something was wrong and I had just this gut feeling something wasn't right so I raced home Um, and that's that's when we found him it changes your life forever I mean you know, you say, why didn't I say I love you before we hung up? Because I was angry at him. Or, you know, you don't know someone's going to just end their life that day and just leave us like that. But um, now I know it's just he was sick. He was sick. You know, the boys and I have, even though we miss him so much, there's also a peaceful feeling because I know... He was so sick, he's in a better place, and we are too, because now I can live not in fear, you mm-hmm. know. So um, it's just, you got to see it, and I didn't. I hate myself for that, but how would I have known? And I'm 
I am finally coming to grips with, I would have never known, I would have never known. But somebody who sees these little things, you know, somebody, you know, if you say, gosh, that's not him, why is he acting like, but take it serious, you know? We, mm-hmm. we brought him to doctors that just wasn't the right ones, you know? Yeah, and that was something I was going to ask you about, because that's something I hear people talk about, you know, sometimes in my practice. Once they've had someone who has committed suicide or something, they struggle with the guilt. You know, they start looking back and, you know, it's like, could I have done this? Could I have done that? And people that have listened to my podcast before, they understand that I talk about boundaries what is mine to manage and what is not mine to manage. And what's so hard to grasp, I think, from some people from stories I've heard is they feel like they could have done something to force the other person, you know, to go to therapy or this or that. But at the end of the day, you can't. You you can't. And I'm a therapist, so I understand that you can't force anybody to go. I mean, you could technically, I guess, pick them up and plop them down on somebody's couch, but you can't make them actually participate in therapy. I'm just kind of wondering for you when you were going through the different phases or if you kind of even looking back, if you can acknowledge different phases that you sort of went through, whether it was kind of guilt, blaming yourself, woulda, shoulda, coulda, and then kind of coming more toward a healing place. Oh yeah. There's, uh, there's so many phases, but it's not linear. You know, the guilt is number, the shock of course was number one. But it, after a year later, I'll wake up and I'll hear something that triggers me and the shock comes back. So it's not, okay, I went through the shock and that's over. You know, the um, the guilt. I mean, I think when anyone dies, you feel guilty. Oh, I didn't go see them enough or I didn't. But dying this way, oh, the guilt overwhelms me. I will I will forever have that guilt, but I'm learning to manage it. I couldn't have known he was sick. I couldn't have known that day he was going to take a gun and shoot himself and leave us like that. So I'm, I'm trying to grasp at that I'm, I'm human and I didn't, I just didn't know. So then the guilt and then of course, um, anger. Oh gosh, you know, the ang- and I still do. I, I get so angry at him. How could you leave me and your two boys? Mm-hmm. And, and that's another thing I don't like people say, yes, it's such a selfish act. It's such a selfish act. I don't feel that way anymore. Um, do I still get angry? Absolutely. But then there's days I, my compassion, and I'm, I'm, I'm so sad that he felt he was in such pain. Um, so I'm like, how can I be mad at that? But um, yeah, so the anger, how, do you, how can you leave us? But it's not a selfish act. I mean, it's, it's a disease. And he, he was in such pain, and I feel like he was so non-selfish to say, if I want my wife and kids to be happy, I need to leave this world. And I think that's truly what he did for us. He thought, everyone says, oh, the, you know, he thought we'd be better off without him. Obviously, we're not. But um, I truly feel like that's how he felt. So it's not a selfish act at all. Gotcha. So, and, and again, I might, a year later, I might, um, you know, ha- have feel relief. Um, then I go to the anger stage again, and then I go to the shock. I mean, it happened on a Friday morning is when we found him. That morning, there was, I remember dropping to my knees and thinking I was in my own universe, but hearing the garbage trucks, the beeping sounds, and it was like, I remember looking up going, they're still, they're still working. Like, my whole world has changed, and they're still working. 
And, um, like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I hear those trucks on Fridays, and it brings me back down to my knees again. You know, um, some days I'll hear it, and I won't. It, it won't phase me, but most of the time it does. It's a process. Mm-hmm. I think um, all of the stages, like I said, they're not linear. I think five years from now, I'm I'm still going to break down and have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them. But I think I, I'm learning to manage my grief. To, yeah. To, to be the best I can be for, for my two boys. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering, what are some of the most hurtful and the most helpful things that people have said to you or done for you, you know, like I said, to try to help our listening audience understand that, you know, they might be around someone who has gone through that and just might have some ignorance. Mm -hmm. You know, they might say something out of ignorance or they might not say something out of ignorance. And that's one of the things that I wanted us to do today is kind of, you know, try to educate one another about, you know, how how would we respond if, if someone like that is in your life? So for you, you know, what were some of the things that people said to you or did that were most hurtful and some of the things that were most helpful? Okay, well, hurtful is, one of them is time will pass. You know, time will pass. And that just, oh, it just goes right through me because time is not even an issue. I'm going to forever feel this tragedy, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years, 20 years. I'm forever going to live this. I mean, I'm never going to be the same person I was. Exactly. So for someone to say time will pass or he's in a better place. Okay, do I know he's in a better place? Yes, but I don't need you to say it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, so many people... It, yeah, and the the whole uh, what it, gosh, how could he do that? That was a selfish thing. You know, we don't want to hear that. You know, um, helpful things is just, you know what, people just letting me have my days. You know what, Erica, you're having a bad day. Just take a day for yourself. Just go, go. You know, my support group. You know what, you need help with your customers. We got this. Go, go. Take a day for you. You know, and that is so helpful because I'm learning to. I don't have many down days. I have a lot of energy. I'm always working, but I'm learning to say today I need to just go into the covers and not think and turn my phone off. And I give myself those days. It's part of that wave. You know, I hit, I hit the ground, but I, I cry and I give myself that. And then the next day I know is going to be a better day. And that's, you know, somebody healthy like that, that is how they think. Somebody like my husband didn't think tomorrow was going to be a better day that it was just going to be worse. And I think that's when they, they do the act. They just can't take the pain anymore. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you able to find any kind of um, support groups or any um, chat groups online or any books that were helpful or, yes, or quotes or anything at all that you feel like really came along and yes, helped um, you? Right when this happened, I was so desperate to be okay. Um, I know everyone says, go to therapy. You got to get yourself into therapy because I think what they're worried about is, you know, what can, what can she do to herself? You know, yeah. I mean, I think the first thing they think is you lose your, your spouse to suicide. Oh gosh, is she, you know, in danger of doing that? I never thought that way. I thought I need help. I need to be as strong as I can for these boys because I'm still here and I have to live this life still. So right away I called around and somebody gave me the name of a lady. Her name's Barb and she lost her son three years ago to suicide. And she started this group 
because, of course, it's not talked about. So people don't know there's groups available. Right. And it was COVID, of course, so we did Zoom. Mm-hmm. But it was it's once a month. And, you know, it was the one thing I got on Zoom. I was so nervous. But there was other people that have lost someone to suicide. And it's not a support group for people that are in the family. You know, it's, you have to have lost someone directly to suicide. It's just amazing to know that you're not alone. So I do these groups once a month. Now we're in person. You know, we just, we talk about where we're at in our grief. And it's just a great support group that I'm in right now. So it's been very helpful to me. As far as books, um, I'm reading one right now. It's called Life After Suicide. And because even after a year, I still feel like I need to still read and educate myself to be able to get through today. Mm-hmm. So this book, Life After Suicide, really goes into quotes from people that are grieving that have lost somebody. And and I, I tend to go, oh my gosh, okay, so I'm not in a bad place. Okay, that's normal, you know. And um, so that book's really helping me. There's an insert at the beginning, and it's almost like a letter from the person you lost. And it just says, you know, I'm sorry. I tried to get help. I tried to reach out, but I just didn't know what to do. And that has really gave me some peace Mm -hmm. um, as if it's him talking to me that there was nothing that I could have done. So and that's what these books help you with is, you know, the, the act of suicide. It's preventable, but because it's not talked about, I there was nothing I could have done, you know, nothing. And that's huge because yeah. there's this that knowledge yeah. because I've the people that I've talked to that have gone through this that just hangs there and lingers there. You know, if I had just seen this, if I had just noticed that, if I had just made this comment, if I just hadn't have brought this up or if I just shut up about that, then everything would have been fine. Then he or she wouldn't have, you know, committed suicide. And it's just not you can't blame yourself. It's just each person is, is going to be making their own choices. Right. right. And, and, I, and I still blame myself for so much, you know, but we're human and we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. but um, the act of what he did, I, I think I was in where I was. I was in the right place. I went with my instincts. I'll still forever feel guilty that I wasn't there for him and that he was going through so much pain by himself, you know, and that sadness to me comes up quite a bit where I picture him alone and dying alone. And um, that's hard to deal with. Yes. Yeah, it is. Because I should have known. I was his wife, you know, and I should have saw it. But I know I couldn't have seen it, you know. There was this bully in his head that, you know, there were so many signs through the years of him changing with, you know, how I mentioned he was acting. And you don't think to yourself, <laughs> oh, he's got some mental illness in his head. And, uh, you know, he's he's at risk to take his life. You just don't think that way. Well, and from what you were saying earlier, you know, you had to protect yourself and your boys. I mean, every person's story is different and every suicide is different and how people behave up to the suicide is different. You know, some people, the the loved ones are just blown away. They had absolutely no clue. And then there's another situation, you know, similar to yours where, you know, his behavior was really kind of skidding sideways, pretty hardcore for a while. And you really, from what you're mentioning earlier, did I mean you had to put you know things in place to protect yourself and your boys. There was just no other choice at the time. And understanding it was mental illness, well, that's okay, but the behavior is still the behavior. It's like somebody can say, "Well, I'm schizophrenic, so I get you know the right to do this or that." 
that will know, you know, yes, you can understand it's mental illness, but everyone's still accountable for their behavior. And you, you had to make the choices that you made. Yes. There's really no other. Right. And you, you always talk about boundaries in your podcast. And that's the truth. I can only take responsibility for my own actions. I couldn't have forced him not to do this. And if I came home that day, something worse might have happened. Or he might have done it a, another day. I can't control another person. I can only control how I react. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned to take life much more preciously like I reacted very angry a lot of times with him because of the things he did to me and sabotaging me and and me and the boys you know you look back and you're like oh I wish I would have you know said why are you acting like this it's it's okay you know talk to me talk to me Mm -hmm. but as a human again that's my first that's your first response is anger you know so that's changed me forever I think if somebody's treating you bad out of normal just ask Tell them you're here. Tell them, you know, can I get you help? And the sad part is, is the person that is suicidal goes into the doctors. They answer the question, you know, they lie mm-hmm. half the time. Yeah. And that's that's a whole nother issue. If they just knew, like, if you're feeling this way, tell somebody because it is preventable. And, and they, somebody can get you the right help. You know, I can't turn back time. But I want to help other people, and um, it's a real thing. It is so real, and because it's not talked about, it's ignored. And, and that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, that's the point of the of these interviews mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And we were talking about kind of like reaching out to people whose loved ones have committed suicide. But I heard something in what the comment that you just made. It's like if someone's listening, and they're the ones that are on the cusp of possibly committing suicide. What is something that you might want to share with them if they're listening? If they're thinking about it? Yes. Just talk about it. Don't think that you're not right or you're weird or something's wrong with you. It's a sickness. You know, to me, it is like cancer. It's a cancer in your heart. It's like your, your head and just reach out. There is help out there. I mean, there's people that specialize in this and, you know, whether it's getting on some kind of medication or something. It's just tell the people that are closest to you what's in your head. And hopefully by talking about it, the people you tell will take it seriously. Okay, I didn't know. My husband could have said, Erica, I'm mentally ill. And I don't know if I would have taken it serious because I didn't know what do you mean mentally ill. Now I will forever take it serious if someone comes to me and said, I'm just feeling really sad. Talk to, talk about it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, and really, I've talked about getting into therapy before in several of my episodes. And it's just like, talk about it. You can say, I, I think I have some mental illness going on. Get into somebody. You know, call, find a therapist. You know, a psychiatrist would be the one to do medication or your, your family physician. But, you know, find a therapist and talk it out. Just give yourself some time. Maybe say, okay, I'm not going to kill myself today. Are you willing to put it off for at least like a month and think it can still be an option, but try some other things during that period of time. But you have to be willing to go get the help because saying that you have mental illness or that you're struggling with things, that's a wonderful first step and reaching out. But you have to do the second thing. You have to be willing to do what it takes to get better. Yes, absolutely. And there's helplines, suicide helplines, you know, utilize that, you know, if you're feeling like life, you just can't take life today, 
just get through today. Just get through today and find and find help. You know, Rob just didn't have a chance. But someone else can. So Yeah. Well, and I'm gonna make sure that in the um in the notes, in the show notes, I will get some information from you, like whatever, you know, books you had mentioned Absolutely. a book earlier, and I'll put that in the show notes. And there's some other things I've got in my emails that have shown up, interestingly enough, as we were getting ready to try to do this interview about suicide prevention and that kind of thing. So we can have some concrete books and numbers and things like that that people can scroll down and read in the show notes and that kind of thing. So before we wrap up, I was just kind of wondering if there's any kind of last thoughts or feelings or any kind of um, understandings that you would like to convey to the listening audience, understanding that someone listening might be someone that's considering suicide. It might be someone whose loved one has just committed suicide. It, you know, it could be someone who doesn't know how to respond in a situation. They're trying to be supportive and loving, but just don't know how. And you've addressed a lot of those issues today. I was just wondering if you had any last bits of, of yeah, help. Yeah, I, I do. And, and this is very true in my heart. It's if you're thinking about ending your life, your life ends, but the people that are survivors are the ones that have to live. And I have to go through this pain every single day. Rob's in a good place, but I have to live through this pain. Think about the people you're leaving behind. Your mm-hmm. life, you might not be able to, to take it, but my gosh, there's so many other people that care and love you that are going to be hurt for the rest of their life. That's a big thing. But also, I'm thank God. I have the strength of God in my life because he's my rock and I know I can get through. He's given me so much strength that I didn't even know I had. He's got me on, you know, whatever journey he wants me to be on right now. There's a reason this happened to me. It's awful. It's tragic. But instead of getting mad at God when it happened, I said, God, tell me what you want me to do with this. You know, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with this? Life doesn't end here. So thank God by God's grace that I get through every day. And I'm very grateful that I had true love, you know, for 20 years. And I don't feel like a victim here. I feel very blessed because some people go a lifetime and not have that. And um, I did. And I loved him very much and never stopped loving him. It just got hard to deal with when he got sick. So, um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, Erica, we just appreciate you so, so much Thank spending you. your time to come and being willing to open up to something that's so emotionally, that's really heavy, and you've been through a lot, and being willing to come and kind of disclose that and open that up to our listeners so that if someone out there could benefit from that, that is just that's just really a nice thing for you to do. And there is still life. I mean, there's, that's, that's another very important thing to leave on a note. There's still so much more life. And, and if you're going through what I'm going through, just know there is hope. You'll always have these feelings, these feelings of grief. You'll, you'll live that probably the rest of your life, but it gets manageable. It gets, then the memories, you, you start thinking of the good memories of that person. Life is so good. Life is so good for me. It's so good. I'm, I'm just blessed beyond belief. Even through a tragedy like that, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and and, and you'll get there. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate that so, so much. 
For those of you who are listening, I would really appreciate uh, if you have gained anything at all from this episode, from what Erica has shared, you know, whether you personally can benefit or if you know of someone, if you would please just share it on your social media platforms or you can, you know, send a link to someone's email, tell somebody about it, share Phoenix and Flame podcast with other people so we can grow our community and really help to lift one another up and learn from each other and become stronger. And I appreciate your time. And uh, this is Dana and Erica on Phoenix and Flame.